This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome to Star Talk. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. And we're coming to you in this moment live at Pocket Lab's Science is Cool Jamboree. And we're going to be talking about esports. In particular, what's going on inside the brain of those engaged in it? And for that, I need expertise far beyond anything I carry. And we've got a good friend of Star Talks called Heather Berlin. She's a professor of psychiatry at the Icon School of Medicine at Mount Sinai, and she's a neuroscientist. So, in addition to that, we've got Chuck Nice. Can't do this without Chuck Nice, our in house funny man. Heather, welcome back. Hey. Yeah, you're all in. I'm all you're, in. You're Thanks for having me. Always fun to be yeah. here. Yeah, so just a couple of things. The people who have sort of a, a bias, I mean, maybe just old parts, I don't know, they have a biased <laughs> understanding of esports. They think it's like all esports are just sort of shoot them up. But there's a huge range that, that goes from like online chess, all right, that's gaming, um, at the Minecraft. Nobody doesn't love Minecraft. And so what we're going to try to do, get into the science behind what's going on in the brains of people involved in this entire uh, spectrum of, of sports, esports. So uh, let me ask you, Heather, have, have you into any esports at all? Not at all. <laughs> I don't know no, if that's not- <laughs> PC answer, wait, wait. but the truth is not at all. <laughs> okay. So I mean, not I as a pastime, you- not as a pastime. I'm interested in it right, intellectually. So I- yes. 
<laughs> My kids play some you, video you games. You study brain, brain patterns, right? So what I is do. a brain pattern? What does that even mean? Uh, we look at activation levels. So every thought you have, every feeling is connected to uh, neurons firing in your brain. So we're trying to map that. And we can use different neuroimaging techniques to look at what's happening in your brain when you're doing different tasks, one of which is playing video games. So there's been studies which look at what happens in people's brains when they're, when they're playing different types of video games. And like you said, there's a whole different, a variety of different types of games that have different types of effects on the brain. Okay, so, so when you say an effect, right, so what if it lights up, all right? If I do anything, yeah. part of my brain lights up. So does it also, because it's sending electrochemical signals, but does it change the chemistry of the brain? Ultimately, yes. If you keep um, activating certain neural pathways, over time, you have something called neuroplasticity, where um, they start to change their morphology and they can fire more quickly together. So yes, you are changing the pathways in the brain. And we do see some of these changes and activation patterns um, when people have been gaming for, for quite some time. Well, what's all this I've heard about the, 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 the chemical dopamine? Like, yes. it's a little weird because it has the word like dope in it. So, <laughs> it's good or bad? I don't know. <laughs> it could make you dopey. Uh, no, it's so that's sort of um, part of the neurotransmitter system that's involved in our sense of pleasure and reward. And so, in addition to so no having. Matter, no matter where that comes from, then. No matter where it comes from. Um, so, it yeah, could come okay. from drugs, it could come from you know, physical, other kinds of physical pleasures um, and gaming, uh, food as well. So any kind of pleasure that we experience, you're going to see some activation of, uh, you're going to see a release of neurotransmitter in the brain, of uh, the neurotransmitter dopamine in particular. So Chuck, did you play any esports? Do you have a favorite game? Um, it's called Real Life. That's Real the esport that I play. <laughs> I play this game called Real Life. And what you have to do is you have to figure out how you're going to pay your mortgage every month. <laughs> well, when you pay it, you and get you some fail, dopamine, right? When you pay it, it feels real good. You get a little dopamine <laughs> shot when you pay it, right? And uh, if you if you don't pay it, they come and take your, uh, they come and take your PS5. <laughs> <laughs> so, so here's something, Heather. Uh, after, no, go on, go on. No, I was going to say, when Heather was talking about dopamine, from what I have read, um, Dopamine is what uh, your brain is flooded with when people do cocaine, chiefly. So is video games, are video games the new cocaine? <laughs> wow. They can be, depending on how you use it. I kind of think of it like, uh, a bit like wine. You know, when you, when you consume it in reasonable doses, like doses, it can be good for you um, at the right age. But too much, and it can become a bad thing. And it is, so is it, yeah. yeah, it could be like sort of, you know, cocaine for the brain if it's um, not done in the right way. So is there a difference when I think of mm. gaming, all right, mm. I think more broadly, of course, this whole session today is about esports, but if, and it, it's sports and you're competing and you win or you don't win and, or mm. the other word for that is lose. Um, is there, <laughs> uh, if, 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 you, if you solve a puzzle, all by yourself and then you triumph uh, mm -hmm. or if you play a board game or if you play a video game and it, is there are, is there a common chemistry to the winning feeling of, of any of those? Yes. 
So winning, whether it's a solo activity, whether you're you're solving a puzzle on your own or a math equation for that matter, um, will give you a little bit of hit of that dopamine, a little bit of pleasure. Uh, when you're playing with other people and there's a competition element involved, you not only get the dopamine, but you have other parts of the brain that are being active. Um, things like looking at socialization. Um, so it might be more motivating. So there's something called a social facilitation effect, where if you're doing any kind of task and others are, the mere presence of others can enhance your performance. However, if the task gets really complex, you might have a social inhibition effect um, where others being present can actually compromise your performance. So again, it's a fine well, wait, balance. Here, everything that happens, you're calling an effect. <laughs> so, <laughs> if it's good, yeah. that's an effect. If it's bad, that's an effect. So, so if everything that can happen, you have a name for it, mm-hmm. what does that mean? It just means that's what science does. We try to name things, phenomena that we observe. <laughs> it means you're affected. That's what it means. It means no matter what you okay. do in video games, you are affected. If I play enough Halo and Call of Duty, can I actually get post-traumatic stress disorder? Oh, ah. interesting. Like if I'm constantly in these, like almost, especially if I play like a VR game, if I'm constantly immersed in these High stress, which, by the way, my impression of everybody playing a first-person shooter, online mm-hmm. streaming with teammates. This is them sitting with the game and then go, oh, garbage, garbage. So, okay, so they get, they're into it. They're totally in it. They're totally into it. But could that have the effect on you of, like, seeing real battle? So this is the thing. There's part of your brain that is able to distinguish um, reality from being in a virtual situation. And most of the time you can, you know, make that distinction. There are certain people, different disorders where they have more trouble distinguishing their imagination from reality. Those are people like with schizophrenia, for example. But, you know, actually it's the converse. We are now using as part of therapy, something called exposure therapy for people with PTSD, um, virtual reality settings. So for example, if it's people coming back from the Iraq, Iraq war, they have a virtual reality of the desert scene and what it would actually feel like being back in Iraq, we give them a fake gun and and actually re-expose them to those experiences, but do it in a way where they can um, reassociate it with more neutral feelings. So it's not so intense. It's sort of a more um, modified version of it, but they need to, instead of avoid it, to kind of re-experience it and remap those pathways in a more neutral environment to actually help help heal some of the symptoms of PTSD. So we, wow. we can use, it depends on how it's being used. Wow. So a couple other things before we get mm-hmm. even deeper into that part of it. Uh, uh, most modern video games and esports involve hand-eye coordination and reflexes. So is this, mm-hmm. a, it, is re, are reflexes something you're born with or can you improve them by this kind of activity? You can certainly improve it. So, you know, there's a lot of controversy in the literature about, you know, are these games good for you, bad for you? What are they doing to your brain? And we certainly observe a number of positive effects, one of which is it helps improve hand-eye coordination, which makes sense. You're constantly doing this task. If you were playing tennis every day for five hours a day, that would help that, you know, whatever, larger limb coordination. But this really does help that fighting. You know what what else is done, Heather? What? You know what else is done? I'm an old fart when I grew up. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a saying, if you were clumsy, you were all thumbs. 
And today, uh, the thumb is such an important part of operating a controller. If you, if you tell an esports person they're all thumbs, they'll probably take that as a compliment. They're like, dude, thank you. Yeah, and yeah. Also, as a matter of fact, that's my screen name, all thumbs. <laughs> all thumbs. Um, the other thing it helps, though, with is attention. So people used to think it's going to make you more distractible. It actually helps them um, refine their attention. It helps with um, decreased distractibility. Uh, it helps them be able to switch gears more quickly. So there are certain things that that they're certainly having a positive effect on both behavior and the brain. Because as I said, the brain is plastic. Okay, so as it gets these inputs, it's changing all the time. My brain is not made of plastic. Well, I mean, brain might be. as in flexible, <laughs> it is flexible. We call it Thank plastic. Okay. plastic. Mine was plastic, but I melted it. So. <laughs> it's fried. So um, is there any difference between, and this could go, plays right back into the classroom. Uh, if there are games that are cooperation-based, where there isn't a winner or a loser necessarily, versus mm -hmm. games where cooperation is not rewarded, where you're sort of the single competitor, do we learn anything from that back in the classroom and what, mm -hmm. what might be uh, improve the learning environment? There are definitely benefits to having a cooperative environment. I mean, there's it's usually a combination of competitive and cooperativeness, but it prepares kids for real life situations, how to negotiate conflict if there is any. Um, it, it helps develop important life skills like empathy, right? Um, and oh, yeah. and yeah. you know, so so there are certainly benefits from that. There are also drawbacks if um, people have sort of social anxiety, if they have maybe issues with self-esteem, the increased pressure um, can have a negative effect. So it really depends on the individual, but overall the benefit of, of working with others and teamwork, you know, it, it activates so many different parts of the brain and so many um, skill sets that we need to, to be, uh, to function adaptively in life. And how about face-to-face -face socialization? Like a lot of gaming is done online where sometimes, mm -hmm. I mean, you, you have no idea who you're playing with. You've never seen them. I've actually mm -hmm. been to meetups where people are meeting for the very first time. One is from Texas. One is from California. One is from mm -hmm. Michigan. And they're all here in New York City for something. And they all meet up. But when they meet up, they're like friends. But they mm -hmm. really don't have any true personal socialization. Is that mm -hmm. good? Is it bad? What, what well, is the gaming? Wait, Chuck, the gaming yeah. was their socialism. That's, that's an aspect of, so, I, mean, I mean, why is that any different from meeting in person other than it's electronic through, through a game? It's just a different mode. But I can there, touch you, I mean, I can touch you in person. Missing. But I used to be able yeah. to hug you and have actual contact. So that's what I'm talking about. Is I'll there tell you what's missing. Yeah, a couple of things are missing. One is olfaction, smell. That has, it's a huge impact on how we interact with each other. That's happening unconsciously that we're missing out on. Yeah, There's that even might be a good thing. You, <laughs> you, don't know the you don't know the people I know. That might be a good thing. You don't <laughs> want to smell them. <laughs> that's no. what I'm saying. <laughs> but we can even, there are studies which we've done which show that you can pick up on people when they're stressed just based on their odor. Um, and that enhances the empathy network in the brain. So we're missing some of that um, oh. touch. Touch. Well, that's releases. just the future. That's just a new yeah. app. That, that where it oh, right. sends out an odor, you know. You just to, spray to, it and it sniffs, <laughs> we sniff empathy. Stress, empathy. Oxytocin. Computers didn't used to have video yeah. cameras built into them. 
Now they do. Okay. So now you have a smell, smell of vision as part of it. That's, that's the new invention. Somebody out there invent that. That, for the that will never work with gamers. They're only going to send one smell to everybody. And he who smelt it, dealt it. That's, that's, <laughs> you denied it, supplied it. That's, <laughs> I'm sure all of the teachers out there are very much appreciating this high-level conversation. <laughs> on so we're, smelt it, we're just being, listen, we're the just top being honest. In the world. Yes, yes, yes. I, I agree. But, you know, there are things we evolved, evolutionarily speaking, to have these certain signals when we are physically present that we are missing out on. Also, let's not forget anonymity. I mean, I've I've heard about what some of the conversations on Call of Duty and these group chats, and they can be pretty vulgar and people will say things that they probably wouldn't say to each other in real life. So there is something about a cloak of, you know, oh, I can just... Social media, yes, okay. Yeah, I can just shut off and disappear and not have to deal with the aftermath of whatever I'm doing or saying. So, you know, as I said, just as, just as there are positive social um, impacts of this, there also can be very negative ones that we don't want to forget about, yeah. And what about people who are, might be on the spectrum where a one-on-one interaction is not ideal, but a machine interaction is perfect? For those people, it's really been, it's been helpful. And I've even seen with patients who have social anxiety and then we move to the Zoom world where they're interacting via the screen and they're much more comfortable that way. And it actually allows them to be social, whereas otherwise their anxiety would block them from doing so. Right. So So, I'm not going to be like old timer on the porch saying, my day, we interaction was, we, no, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. Did I remember, what is this? When the telephone was invented. People will you remember that you were around social ah. skills like, <laughs> because you, ha- you had to show up on in, on their doorstep to say hi. Now you could just right. call them up. In fact, the word to call the phrase to call someone meant to show up at their front door. And when mm-hmm. the Alexander Bell came out with this newfangled device, the word call took on a whole new meaning. So I- I'm not going to be the old timer say we had to do it my way the way I grew up. No, let this be a whole other way to do it. Now, Let me ask you, you, you do realize when you said, I remember the telephone when it was invented. <laughs> you that did it, say that line. That it Can we just like, cut that line? It sounded like, like Alexander uh, Graham Bell said, Neil, come here instead of <laughs> walking. <laughs> Sorry, I remember <laughs> reading about the phone when it was invented. Let me just make that clear. We've got to take a quick break, but when we return to Pocket Lab's live streaming of StarTalk, our discussion with Professor Heather Berlin on what's going on inside the mind of an e-gamer. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your 
business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk. Code startalk. Hey, I'm Roy Hill Percival, and I support StarTalk on Patreon. Bringing the universe down to Earth, this is StarTalk with Neil deGrasse Tyson. Welcome back to StarTalk, the science of gaming, the neuroscience of gaming. I've got Professor Heather Berlin right here in the house, a neuroscientist, to help us through. All right. Uh, so, Heather, is that I've seen people who cannot be pried away from their computers in, in their gaming sessions. Uh, can you get addicted to this? Absolutely. So, we, we do see that, and it's even been... Um, you know, we call it video gaming um, addiction or disorder. And it's not about the length of time a person is on the game. It's really about can they stop playing um, and how they react when being stopped, right? So if you ever have a kid, they're on a screen, you take them off and they start screaming and throwing a temper tantrum. That's not, that's not a great sign, right? But so it's really about how much control you have over it. Um, and, and, and then also how it's impacting your life. If you're doing it at the exclusion of other things in your life, if you're neglecting you know, your work, um, 
your social life, your relationships, it's a problem. But it's really the ability to be able to stop or not. And that's the same thing with drugs of addiction. I mean, maybe some people have tried cocaine here and there. We don't say they're an addict. But when they can't stop and they want to and it's interfering with their life. um, And then we even see withdrawal symptoms with gaming as well. Um, I, I've had to work with patients who are literally going through withdrawal. They have headaches, they have anxiety. Um, so it can really be a problem, but it's not for everyone. It doesn't mean when everyone's going to be an addict. When my son was in like eighth grade, I swear I went three days without seeing him. And then one day he came out of his room and I said, oh, what's up? Oh, the internet's down. <laughs> that <was really> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Now, how about this one that is always, it's come up in Congress. It comes up at family groups. It comes up anytime because, uh, you know, America, the, the United States especially, um, there's violence in society. And there's a lot of sort of accusations bandied about, about whether mm-hmm. video games promote, violent video games promote violence in society. And you said just a moment ago that we do have the capacity, very good capacity, to separate what is real from what is play. But um, is there any further research on this? Yeah. Um, so there's been a lot done in this area and you, everybody could always find one or study that supports their particular idea. But when you look at these meta analyses, which are basically taking the congregate of all the studies, um, the vast so basically inter- studies of studies when you have studies of studies. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and, and, and what they, happens if you study those studies? A mega meta analysis. Um, but they do find overall, um, Video games can increase aggression, but usually the effects are really small and it doesn't have that big impact that we're talking about in terms of like people going out and shooting up, you know, a movie theater. Um, So in general, overall, it doesn't really impact um, how people interact with the world, even though you might see these little upshoots of aggression just after they finish um, playing. that being said, for people who are vulnerable or have an underlying psychiatric illness, some of it could trigger them. It could it could be part of what triggers them. But I think if you're going to be placing, you know, tax dollars someplace, you know, to fight some sort of issue, I don't think video games is really the problem. I'd go more for like the guns or, you know, a psychiatric guns. illness, yeah, right. actual yeah. guns or treating mental illness. I don't think the video games are really the underlying cause. Of, of what's well, happening. Plus, you in have society. the example of the Japan, for example, where mm. uh, uh, you know gun violence is is as low as it gets in the in the developed world, and there's very, as I understand it, there's very high consumption of violent video games there. Absolutely, right. and also, I mean, they've done studies across the world as <laughs> consumption of violent video games has gone up. There hasn't been um, an equal uh, increase in in aggression and you know crimes and all the rest does not correlate with that at all. So, you know, when you look at it, it anecdotally, it feels like it must. Um, and we, like I said, we see these tiny upshots, but it's not really having the impact that, that people think it's having. And you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say how my old fogey moment is mm-hmm. that when I was coming up, it was rap music and rock and roll. Right. right. So they the said explicit that rap, lyrics, explicit yeah, lyrics. They said rap music is causing people to just like, Guns don't kill people. Rappers do. Like yeah. that was the right. vibe back then. So, right, right, you know, right, right, it just right. seems like with each generation, they're looking for a reason. Grownups to- always need something to blame it on. 
Right. Exactly. <laughs> but this is the thing. It's like, yeah, I, that's why I love science because it goes against your intuitions and you have to follow the data sometimes. And it's that, like, oh, it feels like this must be a cause. But when you really Wait, look excuse at the me. numbers, you have to follow the data all the time. <laughs> all the time. All the time. All the okay. time. I don't know when it comes to like who you're going to marry and those kinds oh. of decisions. <laughs> but in general, follow the data. Yes. Plus, let the record show, Chuck, that yep. in fact, Heather is married to a rapper. I am. It is. So yes, I did not follow the data at all. Right. Right. <laughs> also, also let the record show that Heather knows how to uh, use electronic shocks to right. control a person's mind. So, right. So yeah. I got out all the They're all hidden behind the curtain there. That's right. So Heather, um, just yeah. to bring some of this to a close before we go to Q&A um, mm-hmm. with Dave, is there a way to use esports to encourage uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion in society, if not sort of school activities. Do you see a way that this can be a, a force Ooh, of good? That's a in, great, in, yeah. in, in great that. question. And before you do it, can you mm-hmm. speak to the fact that when it comes to um, uh, video game competitions, there's been a lot of talk, and some of it I've witnessed myself, where the community kind of really comes down on girls who play, women who play. Mm-hmm. So, like, how do we overcome mm-hmm. that in addition to what Neil said? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Okay. So uh, I'm going to take it a two-part. One is that I think just the gamification in general in education um, can have a real advantage, right? If if we can gamify things and we're do- and we're doing it and we and their studies have been done which show the results it really enhances learning um, and and skill acquisition so coding um, I've seen a game that was created that was to learn calculus but when you gamify it and you have to like learn to figure out this thing to get to the next level not only do people spend more time on it trying to figure it out they're enjoying it and they're retaining the information better. So, oh, so it's sort of feeding a reward system then. That's what's yeah, going on in there. Absolutely. And just Whoa. the whole way that games have been designed to incentivize, you know, we're, we're, we have to kind of pick and choose what's really been good about some of the, you know, game makers want to get you addicted in some cases. And, but we can pick and choose the things that are working and then kind of bring them into the educational environment. Um, and, and they can have really amazing results where people retain information better. They're more motivated to study. So if you say, go home and study these math problems, you know, oh no, I don't want to do that. Maybe I'll spend a half hour. But if you say, just go home and play this game, and then they're going to keep going back and trying again, because you know, with games, when you fail, you want to go back and try to get back to the next level and you keep it until you get it. And then you move on. And so I think in that way, gamifying education, we can definitely use it as a tool. Still, we need teachers and we need socialization, but we can definitely make that part of the toolkit. And then in terms Heather, of- Heather, my day, yeah. a gold star was enough. That's all I really needed. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> now you have to get to like the next level of the kingdom. <laughs> the <next> level. <laughs> um, but the other thing is that in terms of diversity, um, the nice thing, um, I mean- as I said, the downside is it can be the anonymity, but you know, you can have these avatars, you can be anything online, you know, um, you can be a, a, a young girl who might have, you know, be sort of have a low voice or whatever. And your avatar could be some big, huge Herculean kind of creature. Um, and you can take on these different personas. And in a way it can 
take away these ideas of gender and skin color and and ethnicity and all the rest because you can be anything online, really. Um, And so then it might be purely just based on your skill set, you know, if you're in a game where you're competing against other people. So in a way, I think it might help. Nobody's discriminating against the Hulk for his skin color. (laughs) That's true. So true. (laughs) (laughs) I can't top that. But, you know, we all, I think, also empathizing with other people, getting into other characters. There's been studies where we show, like, for example, if if my character, um, and to help with diversity, they've had, like, if my character would be a, a Black character, let's say, interacting with the world. And they had, oh, they had, um, they've set up these, these sort of um, virtual realities where people would respond to me in certain ways. Um, and I could feel what that feels like, um, mm. being in that avatar. So in those ways, we can really use this to kind of get people to have some empathy for what it might feel like to literally be in somebody else's skin. So how did it, how did it feel to have how, how did it feel to have all the other avatars call the cops on you? <laughs> <laughs> Being black oh. on a Saturday afternoon. That's right. <laughs> in these parts. <laughs> no, but they did, in, in these certain games, they actually created it so there would be a little bit of bias towards certain characters, so you could feel what that would feel like. Um, and these games were specifically created to help people have um, an understanding of what it would feel like to be in a different ethnicity or skin color or gender. Um, and so we are. The idea is that if we can use this technology to help with whatever the social psychological issues that we're dealing with, um, it gives us an opportunity to do that. And so for that, I think it could be really beneficial. All right. So before we go to Dave Baker, let me get, get a quick poll from the three of us, but maybe send it out to the, to the audience as well. Um, should esports be an Olympic sport? Chuck? I'm going to say yes. And I will do so reluctantly, but I will say yes, because I have a very um, newfound respect for esport athletes because I interviewed a few of them uh, who play on different teams for different games. And I found out that they don't just play video games all day long. They get up early. They have these regimens where they start out with nutrition. Then they have to exercise because all of these things actually help your brain. And for them, it's really about reaction times and it's really about being precise. And that means you have to be focused and you have to maintain that focus at a very high level for a long period of time. And that's kind of like what sports is. It's really mental. So I'm going to say, yes, it should. All right, Heather, how about you? Okay, I'm on the fence. I think the same question can be asked of a number of sports that are, you know, should they be an Olympic sport? You know, fill in the blank. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, if there is, an obscure sport that nobody has heard of and you want to put on the map or there's countries competing against each other and you want to um, reward the, I, I guess I am on the fence. I've, in my mind, I'm thinking that a sport is this physical and maybe this is controversial, you know, maybe this is controversial, but you know, this very physical activity um, that you have to perfect. And if mental activities can be an Olympic sport, then we need to really open it up to to everything. I mean, is chess in the Olympics? I don't know. No, I don't think so. Yeah, no, it's not. Right? I see. And if so you open the gates, then that's you're a whole other place to be. 
Right. And so you, so, so yes, if we then open it up to other mental um, activities, so um, which could even get us academics involved in the Olympics at some point. So oh, we're I'm looking at mathletes now. Look at that's you, That's what nerd. I'm saying. I'm look saying you, I was a mathlete. I was a mathlete. I'm not going to lie. Um, we oh. also had an academic decathlon where we had to compete in all these different academic. So, like, could that be an Olympic sport? I'm just saying. So we're hey, starting. Hey, you know what, a- Neil? Neil? I just changed my answer. No. I'm just saying, like, after you don't want to let us in. Yeah, after hearing us. about mathletes and mental decathlons, I'm like, to heck with this. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like esports is on the border between the physical and the mental kind of okay. thing. And once you go over the edge, there's no turning back. Okay. So my my, my answer is mm-hmm. uh I th- <laughs> I've spoken to Chuck about this before. I think the I think the litmus test ought to be ancient Greece, and you have to ask the sculptors who just finished sculpting the wrestlers, the the the, the, the discus. discus thrower, and saying, "Will you now sculpt an esport gamer hunched over their console?" Right. If they say yes to that, and then you put them on the side of Grecian urns, I'm good for it. If no, I'm going with the Greeks. However, Neil, however, based upon your criteria, uh, all Olympic sports must be played naked. Because <laughs> that's what's on the side of a Grecian urn. That's true. A bunch of naked dudes. <laughs> however, academics could then enter because, you know, the thinker, the thinker. Oh, good. If we're going by sculptures, yes. This, but if you, Heather, this position if you look at the, could be a whole a whole game changer. Yeah. Yes. But if you look, if you look at the body on the thinker, you know he's thinking about going back to whatever sport he just got finished playing. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And he is still naked. So there's yeah, that. He's, still, and he's and fully naked. muscled. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Folks, we got to take a quick break, but when we come back, more on the neuroscience of gaming. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age 
or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. If you have kids or pets, you know stains and odors in your carpet and upholstery are inevitable. But the experts at ChemDry can help. ChemDry removes odors and stubborn stains by sending millions of carbonating bubbles deep within your carpet. ChemDry lifts dirt, urine, and stains to the surface to then be extracted away, giving you a cleaner and healthier home. Call 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com to connect with your local ChemDry and learn about special offers in your area. That's 1-800-CHEMDRY or visit ChemDry.com today. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. Like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader. Time to acknowledge Jeff Simon, Chaz Gencarelli, and Anthony Minetti. Those are our Patreon shout-outs to three people who are helping us make this show a reality. Thanks so much for your support, guys. And anyone else listening who would like their very own Patreon shout-out, please go to patreon.com slash Radio and support us. We're back from the break, and for this last segment, we're going to take questions from the audience of this live stream. And the person who will bring it to us is the one and only Dave Baker, co-founder of Pocket Lab. So, Dave Baker, rescue us, please. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you brought me in just the right time. Um, hey, you know, there's so many... Dave Baker is... It's, you know, a co-founder of Pocket Labs, and he runs this stuff, and he's, a, he's also a nice guy. That's, yeah. that's, this is a good combination. Hey, <laughs> well, thank it. you. Oh, you're all wonderful people. And, and, and Chuck, you smell fantastic today. I don't know what it is. Thank, thank you, Dave. I'm actually piping in Neil's apartment to you. <laughs> <laughs> we have some brilliant questions, so I, I want to dive into them. Abigail Perkins asked... Could the absence from where? Of, where, uh, where are these people from? Oh, I don't know. Abigail, if you put it in chat, we'll find out. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, by the Abigail, way, we have, Abigail, please answer. You're from your mom's womb. We <laughs> we have 152 countries signed up to this today, and you know. By the way, thank you guys. You're a big part of making this event success. So I want to say that Abigail Perkins asked, could the absence of smell be beneficial to learning inhibitions? Hmm. That's our, 
uh, you know, I'm going to say no, because the more information you have, the more deeply encoded that information gets. So it's about making associations between things. The more associations you can make between with an idea and, and other things that are connected to it, the more you remember it. And so smell is one of those things that can unconsciously tag something that you're learning um, in a way. And, and taste is another one. It's, we call it one trial learning. So, which evolutionary speaking makes sense. If you eat something and then you get sick from it and you throw up, you'll never go near that thing again, right? So, and the same thing with certain, or you smell the milk, the milk is not good. I'm not going to touch it, right? So smell is really important in tagging information. So I would say probably not going to enhance it. Um, it might make it more, um, less distracting, let's say, when you're learning something. But I do think that when you add in emotions and other sensory information, it, it enhances learning. So Heather, when I was a kid, I, I grew up in New York City, and I visited a Midwestern town for the first time. And I said, something's not right. Something, I'm walking up and down. The street. Doesn't smell like dog. I know what it is. This what? town has no smell. And, uh... and, and I, 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 I realized that in, in New York City, you walk by an alley, okay, it smells of urine, okay. And then you walk by a bakery and you smell bread. As you walk by some and, and people and you're closer to people in the street. And so mm. I, I took it for granted that I'm olfactorially alive in a big city such as New York City. And, yeah. and, and I, so I, it played right into what you're saying there. I yeah, can so tell now, you this though. Neil, Neil is walking Neil's walking around a small town going, Hey, do you guys have any bakeries that smell like urine? <laughs> <laughs> These are two separate smells. <laughs> oh, two separate smells. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I can tell you this. There's there is also like everything else, everything in moderation. So when I was pregnant, so it increases um it, scientifically speaking, not just subjectively, it enhances your sense of smell. And I knew that as a scientist, but when I actually experienced it, walking through the streets of New York, it was overwhelming. It was too much. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't take it, especially in the summer when the heat just made all the smells and the odors that much stronger. Dank, dank is the word. Dank yeah. is the word. And I really was overwhelmed by this odor. So, so that is to say when the smells are too strong. Um, they can be distracting. So if someone's re wearing really strong perfume, you know, sometimes it makes it, it can make it more difficult to concentrate or really bad mm -hmm. odor as well. So intensity of the odor matters um, as well as balance, whether it's positive or negative. Okay. Uh, Dave, what else you got? It's a great answer. Um, Abigail mm -hmm. was from Florida, from Boca. Florida, okay. This is from Jeanette Thomas. I don't know where. We'll find Jeanette. Where are you from? Um, so there's a lot of award games. In fact, a lot of them are designed to kind of keep you, you know, keep you at an even pace and going. Does that undermine the process of learning and resiliency or grit? I don't know if grit is involved, but resiliency, let's say. The fact that there are rewards with the things that you... Yeah, there's yeah. a lot of times instant rewards, right? Mm -hmm. I don't think it does because there's also sort of there's punishers built in as well. Um, because when you lose, you have to like... You know, I have a four and a seven-year-old, and when they don't get past the level or something, they can get very upset about it, right? So I think it does help. It's not only rewarding. You also have to learn how to deal with disappointment or losing points, right? Or losing a life. So they're, they're always intertwined. Um, but, you know, with the violence goes into that as well, just a little bit, because there's this, these studies called the Bobo doll experiment. Um, which was done by this researcher, Bandora. It was about social learning theory. 
And um, in these experiments, he had little kids watch a video of somebody else either punching a Bobo the Clown doll um, and getting rewarded for it or getting punished for it. And the kids would mimic the behavior of the model depending on whether they were rewarded or not for their behavior, which is interesting. So it's not just about whether you're doing something violent or getting a reward or not. It's, it's, it's looking at the connection between the behavior and the reward that's gotten for that behavior or the punishment. And kids do model that. So it's sort of an added element to all of this um, if there's yeah. a social aspect involved. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. Who doesn't want to punch a clown? <laughs> I mean, come on. Come on. You can't, you can't look at a clown without wanting to punch it. Okay? Punch him in a big red nose? That's why he's been punched before. That's why he got a big red nose. <laughs> wait, wait, so, wait, Dave, did, did Heather actually answer the question? Oh, wasn't the, the question, question. Wasn't the question in Resilient. real life? Mm-hmm. If you if you have to pick yourself back up and there's no intermittent rewards to keep you going, is it do you get get a false sense of encouragement in a game that you're not going to get in real life? Is that was that the question? There you can that I so yeah. When, if you break it down like that, then yeah, there is a problem with kids. For example, my kids, I'll say, "Can you clean up your room?" Well, what am I going to get in return? Will be the answer. And I'm like, not everything. You don't get a reward for everything. And it really, we have, yeah, what do I, what am I going to get? I'm like, you're getting nothing. You're getting not being yelled at. Just clean what your kind room. What mom are you? <laughs> what am I going to get? But, but you know, people you know, can get acclimated to this idea that everything you do, you need to get a reward at the end of it. And, and that can be problematic uh, for people who don't get rewards. It can happen with. But that can happen with gold stars too. I mean, before video, when my daughters were young, they had gold stars on their refrigerator, right? And they, a, they really those those stars mattered to them. But it's also about the intensity of the. So it's not just the reward, but how um, the duration. We look at duration. We look at intensity. We look at frequency. And so the kinds of rewards you're getting in the video game because you're so ingrained, and it's very. It really is perking up that that dopamine system. And so when you're getting these constant hits of dopamine, it's like social media, you know, oh, I got to check my social media. Did I get a like? Did I get a like? And so it's, it's not a great pattern. Rewards the way we did it in the old days, the old times, you know, with those stars, or you have to earn enough stars to get a present at the end, was, was trying to instill this idea of a long-term goal that you mm. build up to over time. But here it's immediate gratification, and that can be dangerous. Mm. Okay. You know, yeah, we have only a few more questions. Can you squeeze? Yeah, How many can you squeeze in? Okay. Well, there's a related one to this from Crystal Naylor. Um, do, do video games, do they promote apathy? That's, that's related to what you're talking about. Mm. Mm. Um, that's, that's an interesting one. I mean, only if yeah, you... You can uh, harm yeah. someone and it, there's no real consequences to it. You can crack mm-hmm. up the car. You can drive off the cliff. And you have three more lives, you know, or whatever. Three more turns. So, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I think you can habituate to certain forms of, um, let's say, violence, um, and then you need more and more, just like with drugs, to get the same amount of stimulation. Um, so it can it can sort of feed into that, where where you know they need more to get the same level of excitement that they might have. I used to play Super Mario Brothers, and that was like fun enough, like jumping up and getting the gold little coin, you know. And now it's like you have to blow someone's head off, right? So I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, not, <laughs> not that that didn't exist then. There was <laughs> Mike the way, Tyson's a- punch out where you got to punch him in the face, but 
I think the video games are becoming more and more realistic and more, and you needing more to get that same level of stimulation and to keep people's attention. Well, so Heather, that's a that's a great topic. Because this is a question from Melissa goes, and she asked, "Does long term gaming cause you to need more intense games or longer gaming sessions to get the same Ooh, level of reward?" Like the game where Super Mario blows off Mike Tyson's head. Right. <laughs> well, but, but, yeah. I mean, that's not how I mean, there's there's addiction to to like specifically opiates, opioids. Mm-hmm. That's different. That works different, right? There's a physical, I believe. But is this is this a no? It's the same mechanism we call habituation. So when you habituate, um, it's like when the brain is getting the same stimulation over and over and over again. It learns to say, "Oh, that's not something I really need to pay attention to," right? Because the brain novel, and you, you create a new baseline. Yes, you need more novelty. The brain dopamine comes from novelty. Um, and so once you ha- you've seen something over and over and over again, it's almost like it, the the intensity fades out. And you need more to get the same novelty. I mean, the same has happened with pornography. People have talked about that as well. Like you start with it, watch a little porn, and then they need more and more and more to get to the same level, and they can get addicted to porn in that way. So it's all the same neural circuit just being applied to different behaviors. And as long as you're consciously aware of it, and try to maybe you know take gaming breaks if you feel like you're habituating. Um, and so that the novelty can come back again over time. Okay. What you just it's described is the reason why I skydive without a parachute. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're pretty advanced. I, that's, uh, I don't know where you go beyond that, actually. <laughs> well, uh, you, you can only do it once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a one-time thing. Okay, so you're done. Basically, you've reached the yeah. pinnacle at that point. This thing that you're describing as bad might have what, Got been what got us out of the caves in the first place. The urge to always do something greater, more novel, more uh, interesting, if it were. If, if Absolutely, you will. but I think you know we there is going to be a point at which we've created all the tools and the things that we need to survive, and then that same mechanism that evolved to help us survive can also lead to our destruction if we're not careful. Yeah. So overconsumption, overeating, overgate, all of it. Same evolutionary drive, but now that we have access to other resources, can actually push us into the other direction. So I think it's, it's like we have the capacity to eat as though we don't know when our next meal will come. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yet in the in the developed world, there's you're never more than a few, you know, a meter away from a whole other meal in your refrigerator, or someone brings it to you, or someone brought it to the office, or something. And so, yet we're still responding as though you don't know when your next meal is going to come from. Right. I mean, we have inbred, inbuilt things to crave sugar and carbohydrates because we would need those things to seek them out to survive. And now we have these foods that are packed, extra packed with the sugars and the high fat and easy access to them. And But the same old evolutionary mechanism, which can lead to obesity. Right. right. Dave, mm-hmm. we got time for one or two more. What do you got? Well, oh, okay. Um, you know, I wanted to, um, just, uh, more. this is more of a comment than a question, but you know, and By the you, way, Dave, you've been terrible in a lightning round. I just thought I'd... <laughs> I know. I can feel Neil's urgency. He's like, what's the next question? How many questions are you going to get to? But he can't well, Maybe. <laughs> could be one on the... Let me check the list. He's hey, competing against nothing else. On the list. <laughs> How many can we get to? Before the quiet time runs out. I can right, totally... One last question. Dave, that's all you get. <laughs> okay, one last question. Let me see. Let me pull from the list here. Um... By the way, I think it's great. We got the whole world on these on these these calls. This, this is great. This is a great one. This is this is 
uh, Melissa goes, by the way, Melissa, uh, early up front, you know, Chuck, when you're cracking jokes, she commented, great intelligence has a great sense of humor. So you should. Wow. Listen, you got a fan. Okay. <laughs> uh, well, guess what, Melissa? You are just a person of impeccable taste and insight. <laughs> well, she has a great question. So the lack of boredom stifle creativity. I mean, basically, you know, you, you don't have to be bored now. I got my phone. I could play a game. I could call somebody. I, I could love text. that question. Love what a great, question. a great question. Love it. Yeah. I, in I fact, say... you know, Isaac Newton made great discoveries while he was holed up in his childhood home. Uh, after he escaped London when the plague came through and they closed down the University of Cambridge and there he is like alone at home, okay? And what are you going to do? Oh, I think I'll invent calculus or whatever. Whatever he did in that period was quite productive and because he had mm-hmm. nothing else to do. So look at his apple tree in his backyard. So well, what- there you have it, people. No matter what you did during the pandemic, you failed. <laughs> I thought to myself, as we started quarantining, I said, wow, I got all these shows I can binge watch. And I said, no, I want to be Newton. I want to discover something. And so I did, I did finish the latest Star Talk book, uh, Cosmic oh, Queries, over that yeah. time. So I, I was productive. I just want you to say, Heather, to tell you. Yes, yes, but you didn't discover, you know, gravity. But that's okay. Damn. I mean, that's okay. <laughs> that's um, a tough crowd. Start <laughs> 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 crowd, I tell you. Gravity. I don't know. Um, but... Um, <laughs> No, you were very productive, Neil. You were very productive. Gold star, gold star, gold star. Um, So I think it's a great question because the answer is definitely yes. Lack of boredom can inhibit creativity because when we're talking about lack of boredom, we're talking boredom. We're talking about distraction, being engaged in a lot of tasks, Mm -hmm. never letting your mind just rest and be into these. Uh, flow states into these what we call the default mode network of the brain when we're internally focused that's when creativity arises then you can do the thing that you're you know you you come up michelangelo comes up with this idea make this sculpture painting then he actually does it that's the busy work right but the initial spark of, of inspiration and creativity comes when you're in these default mode when you're in the shower when you're going for a walk when you're not paying attention to anything in particular so i would say yes Dave, be bored the Statue of David, busy work. Did you hear her? That's what it sounded like to me. Anyone can make a statue. Uh, the idea. Just, just call that busy work. I just However, that that's out. a great compliment. If, if the Statue of David is busy work to you, just imagine your brilliance. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't even bother making the statue. I just have to think about it. it and it's done. But yeah, I mean, being bored, letting your kids it's a long car ride. Let them just look out the window. Let them, after, after the boredom, it forces them to become creative and start, you know, using their minds to entertain themselves. Yeah, um, but you have maybe, to get through that. Precipice. Maybe not a car ride, Heather, maybe not a place <laughs> where you're trapped in the car. With kids. <laughs> no, but Heather, to your point, they only say, are we there yet? Like in the first 10 minutes. Later on, they don't say, are we there yet? Because I think yeah. they've got other activities. You got to let them ride out that little rough spot. And then once they do, they'll get to the better place. They don't really? say, are we there yet? Because the parent says, don't make me come back there. Right? <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't ask me again. And I swear, don't make me come back there. <laughs> I, I remember my dad had a long arm. It went all the way there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> you get arrested for that slapping your kids, but back yeah. then, yeah. it's not okay, I think. It would all get slapped in the back seat. 
little slap. Okay. Dave, thanks, we'll again, thanks again for inviting Star Talk to your family, to your to your your conferences, your celebrations of learning and in science. And and Heather, it's always great to have you as a guest on Star Talk. And and Chuck, co-host, dude, where, where would we be without you? I always want to smile when I'm learning. And when yes. I know if you're in the room, that's going to happen. Well, thanks, man. Thanks. It's always a pleasure. In, in, in just this way. So this has been a Star Talk Pocket Labs edition, uh, live streaming uh, with its international uh, community, uh, with an international audience. So Dave, thanks to you and your entire Pocket Lab team for bringing us uh, into your yeah, home. Man. And to the rest of the world, let's just say we love you. And uh, we are so sorry oh, about the last four years. <laughs> 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 <Okay>. <laughs> only to <only laughs> the internet. While we're on the subject, just in terms of uh, COVID, just keep fighting the COVID. Uh, we've got a Delta variant mm -hmm. out there. Uh, if you have access to a vaccine, definitely avail yourself of that. Otherwise, mm -hmm. you will be unwittingly performing a biological experiment in unnatural selection. By declining a vaccine that you could have had and then getting sick and possibly dying. We want to avoid that because we like you in the audience here. You're better off in this audience than dead. That's all. How's that for a lesson, David? <laughs> that's, that's a great way to end. Yeah, well. <laughs> well, let me tell you, after that, I see the more you know, Star. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> all right. I'm Neil deGrasse Tyson, your personal astrophysicist. As always, I bid you to keep looking up. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu.